Chris Sale last year 17 and 8 a 290 earned run average and the first pitch of the season and right through there for a strike you need to understand exactly who you're pitching to know things about them where they come from their industry who they've invested in before the trick is to be able to get all that information out in a way that keeps people's attention keeps them engaged maybe kind of grabs them in the gut this is the language of business a podcast designed to inform and inspire entrepreneurs and anyone thinking about a startup hear about strategies that work and strategies that don't work from people who've been there and done that i'm executive producer don kelly our host is Gregory Stoller, Harvard MBA and senior lecturer at Boston University Questrom School of Business. You've heard about an elevator pitch. You get 30 seconds in an elevator to pitch your great idea, so you want to crush it. In this episode, we meet a professor who just published a book to help you do that. The title, First Pitch. Here's Greg Stoller. Don, thank you. In a ball game, the pitcher wants the first pitch to be right down the middle, a solid strike. Why should business be any different? We're on location with Debbie Kleiman, who's an author, educator, mentor, and practitioner, all at Babson College, and welcome to the Language of Business. Thanks so much, Greg. I'm excited to be here. Your first book, First Pitch, just came out. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, it was really exciting for me to write this book because it's really the culmination of all the work that I do with startups every single day. As executive director of the Blank Center at Babson College, I work with several hundred students every year, and what I hear time and time again is how nervous or intimidated or overwhelmed they feel about the pitching process. And so I really wanted to create something that would take a little bit of that angst out of it, because in reality, the pitching process should be something fun, you know, something exciting. They get to tell the world about their company. So I wanted to create a resource which really gave them very concrete advice strategic analysis of how they were doing, what they were doing, what they were saying, and giving them really practical ways to move forward with their pitch. Most elevator pitches are meant to be two to three minutes long, intended to get a second meeting. How will your approach be different? Well, there are actually a lot of different kinds of pitches. There are certainly the short versions like an elevator pitch or a rocket pitch like you're talking about. And those are more used in conversational settings to get someone to kind of lean in and ask the next question. Investor pitches or mentor pitches or advisor pitches tend to be a lot longer where you're really being able to get into the story of what you're building and why and talking about your team and really what your unique value proposition is. And so the trick is to be able to get all that information out in a way that keeps people's attention, keeps them engaged, maybe kind of grabs them in the gut, you know, really creates an emotional connection. There's actually a, a real art to it. So I'm hoping to provide a really distinct path forward for entrepreneurs who really just don't know how to communicate in that way. If you were writing the book now in light of COVID-19, would any of your recommendations change? Well, I would certainly add a whole chapter on how do you pitch online because it's really changed the game, in fact. For most people, obviously, pitching is all about relationships. It always has been and always will be. But now the trick is, is to build that relationship online, and that's a lot harder. So you're going to have to do a lot of things that change the pitch process. You might pitch in smaller bites of information because people can only stay engaged for so long online, or you might spend more time telling your story in an engaging way in order to capture their attention. 
or you might try to find other ways to connect with your audience, depending on if it's a big audience or a small audience, in ways that they start to get to know you better and start to feel more of a connection because they can't be right in front of you. So I would definitely add a whole bunch on that because in the book, there's a whole chapter about coffee shop meetings, which are such a part of the startup world. You know, let's go get coffee. Let me tell you about my startup. And now we can't do that anymore. We really kind of need to revamp what we do and teach ourselves to find ways to make connections with people online. I think this means that probably the funding process and the relationship building process will take longer. And so people need to be aware of that. But otherwise, a lot of the universal principles about building relationships and being engaging and compelling still remain. Now in the age of all things digital, post-COVID-19, how do you intend to engage with your audience outside of the written word? For me, I've created a website and I also teach at Babson and I teach online as well. So I'd like to continue doing that and, and bring in more of what I've learned about this process. And also I'd like to spend some time working on a module for other educators because in my role as center director at Babson, I know a lot of center directors all around the country at other colleges and universities who work with pitching and help their students try and get good at pitching. But the problem is, is they don't have a lot of material or they don't have a lot of resources. So the other thing I'd like to do, and I think this would amplify what I've learned and what I've created within the book, is this ability to teach other educators how to teach pitching the way that I teach it and help their students really grasp the methodology and the framework that I propose in the book. Debbie, how do you think the equity investment process is going to change post-COVID-19? And should that affect the way that people pitch? Well, I think it shouldn't affect the way people pitch, really. I think what needs to be adjusted slightly are people's expectations. I think there's going to be lower valuations or at least more moderated valuations than there were when before COVID-19 hit. Also, the kinds of businesses that get funded are going to be different. Obviously, things that involve helping remote workers or, or digital types of communication or entertainment are going to be super big. Healthcare will be really big. So there are certain industries that will continue to thrive. Um, and then there are others that will really have a tough time pitching their ideas, things like travel and retail, for at least a little while while we figure out what the next dynamic normal looks like for our country. In all of the pitches that you've seen going back many years, what do you think the single biggest mistake people make is? I think people try to get the information out as fast as they can and as intellectually as they can. And the truth is that there, there's a lot of emotion that goes into telling your story. And the good ones do a really good job of building that emotional connection. They're storytelling, right? They're taking the listener on a journey and they're taking them through the why of why they've begun this company to begin with and how the world is going to change because they started it. I think that's very hard for a lot of people to get used to. And that's why my approach in the book is really different than other things that I've seen, because I use my background as a marketer to bring in that marketer's perspective. And marketing, like storytelling and like pitching, is all about persuasion. And so what I really want to do is teach people how to be persuasive in their storytelling and how they sort of flow the pitch out to the listener. And a lot of times I think people just get very factual. They're just dumping a whole bunch of data. And our brains aren't wired to remember that or to be excited by that. Once you get through the first pitch and hopefully get a second meeting, how does that pitch need to change before you get a check? 
a lot of times it's a long building process of relationships and kind of getting to know each other and really understanding the team and what's the, what are they uniquely capable of doing that nobody else can do in this space. So I don't think there's a ton that's going to change per se. I think that it's more back to all the universal principles that people invest in today. You know, Are you feeling compelled by the founder? Are you feeling compelled by the team? Do you feel compelled by the idea? You know, Are they working on something that nobody else has really recognized is going to happen, a trend or an idea or a combination of trends that is going to give you a unique competitive advantage in the world. And so it's all about the market opportunity, really. I mean, if the market opportunity doesn't feel right to you, then it's going to be difficult to get people to pay attention. How will you determine if this project has been successful? By the book. (laughs) Well, for me, I really went into this because I wanted to help people. So I heard a lot from my students and the the startups that I've worked with for over 15 years. They, They tell me all the time that my methodology and the way I talk about pitching, the way I teach pitching is really, really helpful. It takes a lot of the the intimidation out of it. And so I really just wanted to share that with the world. So for me, the measure of success will really be if I hear from people who read the book and understand what I'm teaching them about in the book, that it really made a difference to them, that they felt confident, that they felt ready, that they felt really prepared and excited to tell their story to the world and to get not only funding, but mentors and press and advisors and influencers to really lean in and take notice of what they're doing. And for me, that would be the greatest success. Debbie, thank you. Sure. Thanks for having me. Debbie Kleiman, author of the newly released book, First Pitch. Don, back to you. Thanks, Greg. And that's our latest episode. Support for the language of business is from Boston University Questrom School of Business, the Questrom Online MBA. It's a top 50 program for a very affordable $24,000, and you can complete your online MBA in as little as two years. As an online MBA student, you'll be part of a truly global learning community with your fellow online MBA students all around the world. You'll join a network that includes outstanding faculty and staff in Boston and over 51,000 Questrom alumni and 335,000 BU alumni around the world. Interested? Get full details at bu.edu slash Questrom. The Language Business is available wherever you get podcasts. We have downloads in 62 countries that we're aware of and 10 more that are marked as unknown. We really appreciate the support. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and you'll automatically receive new episodes. Our social media is by Jennifer Powell of the Excellent Writers Group. Consulting producer, Helen Tierney of Happy Accident Productions. Direction, audio editing, and voiceover by yours truly. Special thanks to Mike Carruthers of somethingyoushouldknow.net. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. For Greg Stoller and the entire team, thanks for listening to The Language of Business.